Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today here at Three Circle? So excited to have all of you with us in the room. Those of you guys that are watching online at our other campuses, we're so grateful that you would choose to end the last day of 2023 uh, inside of this house with us. Now, uh, for those of you guys that have been hanging around Three Circle for any length of time, you know that typically on the last Sunday of the year, we refer to this Sunday as Sermon 52. You know, just wave at me because there's obviously 52 weeks in the year, if you recall that, if you've been around uh, Three Circle for any length of time. But I started counting, and this is actually the 53rd Sunday of this year. When there's five Sundays inside of the month of December, then you get 53 sermons. And so this is Sermon 53, so you've already met your quota, so you can leave if you'd like to. I'm excited to be able to share with you in this 53rd message. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn our full attention to what I would call one of the most dangerous psalms inside of the sacred collection of songs and hymns within the Bible. And the reason why I say it's so dangerous in large part is because it's very familiar. And when something is familiar, when you're familiar with something or if you're familiar with someone, you quit examining and when we quit examining, we overlook deeper truths designed to steer us towards a greater understanding of what God is trying to teach us. So when I reveal to you the psalm that we're gonna be teaching out of today, I want you to try to deconstruct and pull out of your head anything that you may have attached to this, and I want you to listen to it as if you're listening to it for the first time with some questions in mind. Is what is it trying to teach us? So what is this psalm trying to teach you? What is this ancient truth trying to reveal to us and why is it relevant for us today? And then how can we unlock its power? Because there's power in God's word. Doesn't matter how familiar you are with a particular verse of scripture, there's always untold amounts of power inside of God's word and we wanna do our best to try to unlock that power today. So let me tell you the Psalm that we're gonna be looking at. is Psalm 23 and it's only six verses. We're going to wade through them. And this passage of scripture is known not just by those who are followers of Jesus or if you've been around church for a long time, but the entire world really is familiar with this passage of scripture. Believers and unbelievers alike can pretty much quote all six verses of Psalms 23. Now there's very little debate. Most scholars all agree that King David, he is the author of this Psalm, these six verses that we're going to be looking at today. But they also agree that he probably wrote this Psalm late in his life. So at this point in time, David is at the end of his career, so to speak. He's the second king of Israel, and he's got some mileage on him. My grandfather used to say that he's a bit long in the tooth. So he's an older man, and he's beginning to put pen to paper. And as he writes, he writes Psalm 23. Now, at this point in his life, David would have accumulated untold amounts of wealth. So he would have had, I mean, just all sorts of resources at his disposal in the form of all types of things. I mean, he had it, like you name it. And if it was designed and built inside of that era, David would have had it. He was quite literally the richest, most powerful, and the most renowned leaders on the planet at the time. And this chapter 
that you're going to listen to in a moment is actually a retrospective chapter where David is not talking about himself in present tense, but he actually goes backwards and he takes a version of himself where he is a shepherd. And this is how this psalm begins or this is how this psalm is going to be formed. And I find it very unique the vantage point that David chose to write the psalm from because he could have chosen tons of vantage points to write it from. He could have written it as a king because he was a king. He could have written it as a savvy leader because he was one of the best leaders to ever exist. He could have written this psalm as one of the most richest and wealthiest. He could have wrote it from that particular vantage point. But he doesn't write it from any of those vantage points. I want you to read with me Psalm 23.1, this verse of scripture that's so familiar. And if you'll indulge me for just a moment in this last Sermon 53 of the year and just read it with me aloud as I read it. Listen to this, Psalm 23, verse one, read with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. So if the Lord is David's shepherd, then what is he writing this from? the vantage point, the perspective that he's writing it from. He's actually writing it from the perspective of a sheep. And it just dawned on me as I was studying for this passage is that David is putting himself in the seat of a sheep, not a savvy leader, not a rich ruler, not someone who is a warrior, and he could have written it from any of those vantage points, but instead he chooses the lowly sheep. Now, sheep have some characteristics that were frankly in direct opposition to what others would have attributed to David. When you think about David, you don't think about someone who is a sheep. You don't think about someone who is a lowly animal. You think about him being a king. You think about him being a legend. You think about him being one of the greatest personalities to ever fight inside of the nation of Israel. But he says, I am a sheep. And I know very little about sheep, but there is something that I know a lot about, and it's dogs, because I grew up as a dog owner. We're dog owners inside of our house. And I want to introduce you to this awesome Southern gentleman that lives inside of my house. This is Tua. I probably just told you who we're rooting for in the game tomorrow by the name of our dog. Uh, but he obviously does not deserve that Carhartt collar that's hanging around his neck. Uh, but here he is. I get up one early morning to go work out and I come back and he has left his bed and he is laying in my bed, on my side of the bed, with my wife. So he is a spoiled dog. I mean, he is absolutely spoiled and he's really smart. He's very intelligent. My kids, they found this out uh, when we were shut down during COVID, is that this dog, this animal will do anything for a treat, anything. He'll sit, he'll roll over, he'll spin on the ground, which I thought was pretty remarkable. He will bark, he will do whatever. He also understands English, at least a couple of words in the English language. He understands treat, because if you say treat, he goes bananas. It's like you shot him out of a cannon. He goes straight towards our pantry and he wants, man, he wants that treat. And he, like I said, will do anything to get it. He also understands the days of the week, which is also very remarkable if you think about it. I don't know how he knows this, but he knows which day of the week it is. And here's how I know that. is because on Monday through Thursday, I've got a ritual that I go through. I get up and I go to the gym and I come back home and I jump in the shower. I put on the clothes that I'm gonna to wear to the office. The kids get in the car with me and I take the kids to school. And then I go to the office, I don't come back home. But on Fridays is the only day that is unique to my biorhythm. 
Like, I don't do that. I actually come home, and instead of jumping in the shower, I stay in my workout clothes. Depending on how sweaty I am, I may throw on a different shirt, and then I'll drink a cup of coffee, and he knows that on this day that he could potentially go for a ride. And the reason why I know this is because he looks at me like this. This is how he looks at me. The entire time on Friday, he's looking at me like this because he knows that it's Friday and he knows that I have not changed into uh, an outfit that's appropriate for work. I'm telling you, this dog is very sophisticated, very smart, intelligent animal. And he knows that if I say ride, he's gonna get to jump in my truck and go with me to the kids at school. He is the typical dog. Think about the typical dog when they're inside of a vehicle. You roll the window down a little bit. He holds his head out the entire time. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. He absolutely loves going for, and in our family, we actually have to spell it because if I say it, we have to take him for a ride. We say, he goes for an R-I-D-E. He goes for a ride with us. Now, here's what I've done. I've scoured the internet looking for a sheep to do some of the same things. I couldn't find it. I didn't find one sheep that was trained to go fetch a ball. Not one. I didn't find one sheep that was able to beg for a treat or bolts towards the pantry door. I didn't see one sheep that was able to roll over or play dead or any of the things that our household animals are able to do except for cats. Cats just do whatever they want to, you know. But, these, but, but, but sheep, they, they, they don't have that ability. And the reason why, and I'm gonna... I'm gonna use a word that might be a bad word inside of your house, uh, but I'm gonna go ahead and use it. The reason why sheep don't do that is because they are dumb. They're dumb. They're not very intelligent animals. I did find this article, however, listen to this. It must've been a slow day inside of the CNN of Turkey, whatever that is. But I read this article where it was titled, 400 sheep fall off of a cliff in Turkey. Now read this, hundreds of sheep followed their leader because sheep will pick a leader in the flock. There'll be one that they pick and they go, that's our leader. And whatever that leader does, they follow the leader, whatever he does. And so this leader decided, and I don't know if this sheep had a bad day. I don't know what it was going through. I don't know what type of problems that him and his wife were having, or you know, it might've been a female sheep her and her husband were having, I don't know. But this sheep walked off of a cliff to its death. And 400 of them did the same, why? Because the leader did it, the leader did it. So it's like, you know, you've been asked the question, if your friend jumps off of a bridge, will you do it? Apparently this sheep would have, right? They, they followed the sheep, this leader, to their death, 400 of them. Now, keep reading because apparently it got to be such a big pile because it was a 15-meter drop. 400 of them died, but 1,100 of the animals walked off the side of the cliff as well, but I guess the 400 that were dead broke their fall and they survived. So these are the types of animals that we're dealing here with. Shepherd from the village, they neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free, according to this daily report, and they lost about $74,000 in heads of sheep on this particular day. Now, let this sink in. I want you to really let it sink in, and I'm not calling you dumb. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all, all right? But the Bible refers to us as sheep nearly 200 times. 200 times inside of the Old and New Testament, 
We are referred to as sheep. And to my knowledge, I have studied. You may find someone that identified as a sheep or made themselves uh, kind of the, the, the character, uh, you know, as a sheep or as an animal. But to my knowledge, this is the only time in scripture where a man puts himself in the perspective of a sheep. Every other time it's someone calling humanity sheep. Jesus does it on several occasions, but King David is writing this from the perspective of the sheep by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He's saying, hey, here's the deal. I am a sheep. Not only are sheep dumb, but they're also dirty and defenseless. Sheep have this oil that secretes from their skin and coats their wool. It helps them inside of the cold weather effects. However, the oil also becomes a prison for everything that is nasty. Because a sheep, when it lays down, it absorbs whatever they lay down in. And when they lay down, animals, insects, parasites, they crawl into the wool and it is impossible for a sheep to clean themselves. So once they get dirty, they cannot become clean in their own power, like with their own strength. It's impossible for them to clean themselves. Just like you won't find a sheep fetching, you're not gonna find a sheep licking their paws and cleaning themselves anywhere on the internet because it requires a shepherd to clean the sheep. They're also defenseless. They don't have anything that they prey upon other than grass, that's it. That's all sheep have. You've never seen a sheep growl. They don't show their teeth. They don't try to bite you. They don't do any of that stuff. They don't prey upon anything. They are not a predator inside of any scenario. They need a shepherd in order to take care of them. Now think about this. David, with all of his wealth, with all of his wisdom, is categorically saying, I am a sheep. And he's in essence saying, if I am going to create a contrast between me and the Lord, let me think, okay, I'll do shepherd because I know and I understand because I have been a part of that uh, particular infrastructure, but there's no way that I could paint myself as the shepherd. I'm gonna have to be the sheep and the Lord is going to have to be my shepherd because that's the chasm that exists between the two. David is saying, I am a sheep. And here's what he's really saying. Lord, you are my shepherd. He makes it deeply personal. He's going, you are my shepherd. You're superior to me in intellect. You have way more intelligence than I could ever have. I'm incapable of cleaning up my life. I couldn't do it even if I tried. I am dirty and I cannot clean myself. All I do is make mess after mess. Lord, I'm completely defenseless, left to my own devices. I cannot thwart the attacks of my spiritual enemy. He's too smart. He's too intelligent. He will outsmart me. I need you. You're the only one that can defend me. And really, David is just about the only person that could have leaned onto his own wealth. David could have leaned into his power. He could have leaned into his privilege. If there was ever a man that could have painted himself as being self-sufficient, it would be David. David would be the only person that could make a proclamation of self-sufficiency. But instead, he goes, without the Lord, I'm nothing. Without the Lord, I'm just dumb, I'm dirty, I'm defenseless. I need a shepherd. 
He was fully aware that he was in need of a shepherd. The apostle Paul, a leader in the first century church, now keep this in mind, Paul, hyper-intelligent guy, super smart guy, brilliant thinker, wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, participated in, the, in, in, in helping to write the canon of Scripture. And this is what Paul says about himself. Paul says in Romans seven nineteen, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. Does that not explain some stuff right there? Does that not like describe you? It definitely describes me. There's some things that I know that I'm not supposed to do. If you are a husband, you know that there are some things that you are not supposed to say, right? You know that. You know that there's some things that you're not supposed to engage in. But what ends up happening inevitably is inside of our humanity, we end up engaging inside of those things and we cannot stop ourselves. Now, we may be able to do it for a month or two months, for three months, but eventually we go back into that cycle, that cyclical process of just going into a position or putting ourselves in a position that's going to create pain. This is what he's saying. And he's saying, hey, and there's some stuff that I know that I'm supposed to do. Like, I know I'm supposed to do these things, but I end up not doing them. So what does that make Paul? Paul is in essence referring to himself as a sheep. It checks all the boxes. This is the angst that David is getting at in the poem written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In verse one, which is the central theme, it's the thesis of that chapter, He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd and everything else tethers tightly to or amplifies the role that David assigns to the Lord as our shepherd and the interplay that we experience in our relationship with him. In other words, if verse one isn't true for you as a believer, if you're sitting inside of this room and you go, man, I, I, can't, I can't honestly say that the Lord is my shepherd, then verses two through six don't apply to you either. If verse one isn't true for you, then verses two through six, it doesn't matter if you've got it tattooed on your body. It doesn't matter if you've thrown it out there inside a social media world. It doesn't matter how you've used it or what context. If you can't say that verse one is true, then none of the other verses of scripture can be true as well. And more importantly, the power, the statement that David is making here is he's saying, hey, in order for you to receive the gospel, you've got to kind of take the posture of a sheep. In order for you to, to actually receive the gospel, you've got to lay your pride, you've got to lay your achievements down, and this is what David is doing. You've got to lay his wealth to the side, his kingship to the side, and he's taking on the posture of the sheep, and he's going, Lord, there's nothing that I can bring to the table. There's nothing that I can bring to the table of salvation. You are the author of life. You are the only one that can save me. And when we can make that realization, then we can receive, we're eligible for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to take the posture of a sheep that we're just dumb, dirty, and defenseless. So here's what you might discover today. You might find out that you have a shepherd, but it's not the Lord, because everyone has a shepherd. Everyone has someone or something leading them in a specific direction. 
but it may not be the Lord. So what is a shepherd? A shepherd is anything that steers you. A shepherd is anything that steers you. And the question is, what is steering you? Is it money? Is money steering you? Is culture steering you? Is achievement, is it steering us? Is it materialism? Is that the thing that is steering us? Is it based upon the outcome of a certain election that's gonna be taking place in 2024? And man, if it, if it doesn't go in the direction that we think it should go, oh man, this, you know, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Is that the thing that's steering you? Is your relationship with someone steering you? What is steering you? Whatever the answer to that question is, is your shepherd. And David in verses two through six starts establishing what the Lord as our shepherd is leading us into. Here's what the Lord is leading us into. He's not this cowboy that's leading us in this senseless direction and we're just one more note, you know, one more number. Oh yeah, there's a head, you know, there's somebody else that came to faith. That's just one more number. No, he knows us intimately and he cares for us deeply. That's the reason why David said the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is not some alpha dog. He doesn't treat his sheep as assets that need to be managed and maximized like a CEO of a publicly traded company. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is he cares for us like a shepherd. And there's so much that we'll never be able to get to today. And so my encouragement to you is take this week and study Psalm 23. But look at Psalm 23 too. It says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He lets me. One translation says he makes me. So this shepherd, who is the Lord, apparently makes us do some stuff. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. For green meadows symbolizes harmony and security and strength and peace. It has nothing to do with the external factors. It's a metaphor. It has everything to do with internal factors. And we just got through talking about that inside of our series, our Christmas series, where we receive this peace. And it's as if, man, it's nothing but green meadows on the inside because of what the Lord has done in our lives. And then there's peaceful streams. And peaceful streams refers to thirst quenching, sweet, clear, and slow running water. When water moves too swiftly, the sheep cannot drink it. So here's how careful the shepherd is, who is the Lord if we're believers. Here's how, here's how, here's how smart and intelligent he is. He knows exactly what we need. And if the stream is running too swiftly, what he'll do is he'll carve out a little area where the water can flow into it and he'll dam it up on both ends so that the sheep can drink and not be in fear. That's how much the Lord cares deeply for us. In verse three, he renews my strengths. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Like God is gonna protect his reputation. He's gonna bring honor to his name. God is for God and he renews my strength and he guides me along right paths. So verse two and three points out clearly towards the life of Jesus, of what he came to do through the gospel. So right in verses two and three, if you just take that and wring it out like a sponge, you know what will come out of it? The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why Jesus referred to himself in John chapter 10, verse 11, as the good shepherd, because there's a lot of shepherds, but there's only one good shepherd. 
And in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And the only way you can experience green meadows, peaceful streams, renewed strength and right paths hinges on what Christ did for us on the cross. Now I want us to notice something here inside of this passage in Psalms 23. Never anywhere inside of this passage does it refer to the performance or the work of the sheep. Does it? Can you see it in there? Point it out if it is, because I haven't been able to see it and I've read it so many times. Like it does not showcase the work and the performance of the sheep. Who does it showcase? The work and the performance of the shepherd. The shepherd is the one doing the leading. The shepherd is the one doing the making them lay down in green pastures. The shepherd is the one that's leading us towards peaceful streams. The shepherd is the one that is renewing the strength. The shepherd is the one that's guiding me along right paths. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the most quintessential verse of scripture. That's probably, I don't know, 15 to 18 words. It sums up the gospel so powerfully and it tethers so tightly to what we just talked about. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned. So Jesus never sinned. He came and lived a life that we were incapable of living to be the offering for our sin. So he became the offering of our sin and the wrath of God was fulfilled as he offered himself up on the cross so that we could be made right with God. See, the right path that he puts us on is made possible because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, verse four, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Some say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are going to be with me. Your rod and your staff protect me and they bring comfort to me. This further explains a couple of things. That life isn't always green meadows and life isn't always peaceful streams. And I'm not naive. Like we love all things to be pretty and polished up. We like things to, to go according to plan, or at least I do. Like I want things to be perfect. I do, man. I want, I want things to be managed well and be led perfectly. But it's just not the case. Like stuff happens because we exist in this, this fallen world. And I know that there's probably some people that have wandered into this room today and your marriage didn't go the way that you needed it to go in 2023. I know that there's some men in the room that didn't provide as well for their family as they wanted to in 2023. I know that there are some people who brought some heartache, depression, anxiety, and they're just praying to God that this next year won't be like the last. And I can't promise you there's not gonna be more dark valleys. But here's what I can promise you, is that you have a savior that's walking closely beside you. And he's equipped with a rod and he's equipped with a staff. A lot of folks think that that's one instrument, but the reality is, is it's actually two different instruments. The rod was a tool when the predators would 
come out of the caves because the, the valley of the shadow of death is quite literally a real place. Like it's those areas that you had to lead the sheep through as a shepherd where it was dark even in the daytime that was loaded with caves that had wolves and these wolves would come out of hiding and they would, and they would think, oh man, here's the sheep. And the shepherd would be there with that rod fending off the attack, protecting the sheep. He also had the long stick with a crook on the end of it that he would gently lay. So even when the sheep couldn't see the shepherd, they felt his presence. And he would guide them ever so gently through the terrain until they got to the other side. Here's what I know according to this verse of scripture, that even in your darkest valleys, whether it be one that you just came out of, one that you're in, or one that you're about to go into, if you're a follower of Jesus, he will never forsake you and he will never leave you. He's with you. And his rod and his staff, they protect you and they bring you comfort and they bring you peace. In verse five, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. So this is David now saying, now you're honoring me. Like I bring honor to your name because you're giving me strength, but now you're honoring me. And look at how he honors him. I, I think this is just so skillful. With such, with such precision, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, David writes this, you, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessing. You're preparing a feast for me? And I thought, man, of, of any of the folks that, that David could have picked, he could have picked his friends, his family. He could have picked his army. He could have picked those that were obligated to him because he occupied the throne of Israel. But you know what he does? Instead, he goes, no, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the presence of my enemies. Publicly, you proclaim and bring honor to my name. <laughs> that, that's some good stuff right there. Because I used to think, listen, God has to love me because I'm a follower of Jesus and he has to love me because it's kind of in his job description. He's obligated to love me, but he doesn't have to like me. And there's been times when I thought, man, God doesn't like me. And then I read this verse of scripture and it just kind of came to life inside of my soul. And I thought to myself, why in the world do I have this, this theology where God has to love me, but he doesn't like me? Like it shows actually inside of this verse of scripture that not only does God love me, but God also likes me and he delights in me. And you're gonna find that out in the next verse of scripture. And he is publicly throwing a feast for me inside of the presence of my enemies. He is celebrating me and bringing honor to me. Do I deserve it? No. Am I the recipient of it? Yes. Why? Because of what Christ once again did for us on the cross of Calvary. Like somehow God is able to throw this big feast in our names and our cup is overflowing inside of that context as we are eating a feast that was prepared for us inside of the presence of our enemies and it's bringing, my, it's bringing honor to me honor that I do not deserve, and it's anointing my head with oil. And oil would be something like a medicine. So as we come out of the dark valley, 
Like the shepherd anoints our head with oil. He provides for us the medicine to cope with what we just came out of. And he'll do that for you as well. I used to think that the gospel was some dark back alley transaction that took place. Like I'm so filthy, I'm so dirty. Like God would never publicly say that I'm his child. I don't deserve that. There's no way in the world. God, as long as you just let me kind of get in the back door, like that would be amazing. Like if I could just, just get into heaven somehow, that would be great. But it's not some dark black alley transaction that takes place under the cover of night. No, he does it publicly for our enemies to see. And in verse six, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Man, isn't that powerful? That God is in pursuit of me and it's not with his wrath, it's not with his, hey, clean up that and do this and do that. No, it's not, it's not with any of that. It's with his goodness and his unfailing love. I've got a couple of grandbabies, and I know you're like, man, you look too young to be a grandpa. And I'm like, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That was very kind of you to say that. But me and my wife started early. And so uh, I've got a 20-something-year-old, 20, you know, once they get out of the house, I quit, I, I quit, I quit celebrating birthdays, to be honest with you. No, but uh, she's 24, and so she's got a couple of kids, and they were here for the break. And for those of you that are grandparents in the room, like, I'm telling you, I, I would have skipped having kids and just had grandbabies, went straight to grandbabies if that was possible. Like, I, I love my grandkids, and I got this little one, his name is Roman, and he just loves me, at least he does inside of my head. He calls me Pops, that's what they refer to me as. And one of the games that he likes to play is he loves for me to chase him, to pursue him. And I'll chase him throughout the house. And if you could hear him laugh, oh, the belly laugh that he has is extraordinary. He is, I know you probably think your grandkids are the greatest, but my grandkids are actually the greatest grandkids on the planet. They really are. And they love for me to chase them. And why do I chase them? Why do I pursue them? It's because I love them. I've got nothing but goodness that I want to put on them. And if me as an inferior man, that's messed up so many times, so many times. And that's God's attitude towards me. It's unreal. So as you leave this year and go to another, there's some things that I just want to say to you. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ as your savior, and you walked an aisle out of EBS when you were seven and said a prayer and you think that that formula saved you, but you have not been living a life that honors God, you may not have crossed the gospel threshold. So if you're in this place today, God has ordained you to be here. I am crazy enough to believe that God is sovereign, which means that he's in supreme control, which, we, which means that he is, he is dictating the slightest of molecule that's floating around this room right now, as R.C. Sproul would say. And he has guided you into the seat that you're sitting in right now. And right now, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what you feel in your heart. And he sent his Holy Spirit to save you. Right here in this room, you can experience salvation. You can embrace it right here in this room by just confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart 
but then there's some others. And, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, man, God loves me, but he doesn't like me. And I want you to know, man, that God, God loves you. I know that that's simple, and I showed up to church to hear that. Hey, it's the 53rd message, so give me a break. God loves you. And the question that I want us to all wrestle with as we bring this message to a conclusion is what is your shepherd? What is your shepherd? As you leave one year and enter into another, you're leaving 2023, man, midnight, the clock is going to, to, to strike and we're gonna be in a brand new year. What is your shepherd? What is guiding you? What is directing you? And my prayer is that Psalm 23.1 would come like a, like a fire in your soul and it would remind you of the fact that the Lord is wanting to be your shepherd. And you can say that very familiar verse of scripture, just like the rest of the world, but it have a deeper meaning because you're a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for you, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God, for every person inside of this room. And we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that like the surgeon that you are, that you would take your word and that you would deal with the hearts of your people. Perform surgery on their souls today. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.